Welcome to the Inspired Women Podcast. I'm your host, Megan Hall, psychology student, wife, and mama four. On this podcast, I share helpful life tips and stories from inspirational women. Warning, sometimes we chat about taboo topics and drop some F-bombs. Thank you for tuning in with me today. Enjoy the episode. Hey, everyone. Today, I'm here with Cynthia. Cynthia is the author of the upcoming book, From Changing Diapers to Changing the World, Why Moms Make Great Advocates and How to Get Started. She's the mom of two teenage girls in St. Louis and involved in volunteer activism and organizations like CARE. The one campaign results in mom demand action, to name a few. She is a rare breed of activists working across a variety of issues with nonpartisan philosophy for 14 years. She visits congressional offices, trains volunteers, generates social media posts, and organizes action meetings. Cynthia writes the anti-poverty mom blog and has appeared in newspapers nationwide, including the New York Times and the Financial Times. (laughs) She's also been a guest blog contributor for World Moms Network, babycenter.com, UN Foundation's Shot at Life campaign. Uh, Cynthia, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Hi. Yeah, I'm realizing my organizations have a lot of funky little uh, parts (laughs) to them. They make it hard to read sometimes. No, you're fine. And you know what? I uh, should have learned in the last five years. Well, in October will be the first, the time I, I did my first interview. It didn't air until January, but October was my first interview that I should read this stuff before I get started. And I never do. And then I'm just like stumbling over my words, but. Well, congratulations on five years of podcasting. That's a huge achievement. Sometimes I'm like, I want to quit. And then other times I'm like, I love this. (laughs) Well, let me be one of the women that says, don't quit, please. They're nice podcasts. Thanks. I mean, I'm like, it'll look good on that PhD application in a couple of years. So <laughs> that's what keeps me going. But also having great conversations. I've met so many amazing uh, women through this podcast where I'm like, I would have never learned this. I would have never met this person. So yeah, thanks for coming on. Um, I would, uh, love to have you, we talked a lot in your bio about advocacy, <laughs> yeah. uh, and we haven't really had somebody who's in advocacy on the podcast. We did one and it was many, many years ago. And she talked about disability advocacy. She's a military spouse. And I'll link that up in the, in the show notes. Uh, so she, she's been very like vocal about, you know, getting things covered by TRICARE, which is the military, you know, in medical insurance, all of those things. So I will link that up. And I'm just like, I'm friends with her on Facebook. And I, I, I'm like blanking, I can see her face in my head. Uh, (laughs) And I'm blanking out, but I will link that up in the show notes. She's probably gonna listen be like, you forgot my name. (laughs) You're you're not alone. We're Uh, we're all kind of that way. Yeah. So I'd love for you to share with us, like, what got you into advocacy, um, especially anti-poverty advocacy? Like, where did that all begin? Sure. Um, I feel like I should just kind of start out with my own little definition of advocacy, because, you know, there's a lot of activism going on these days. And um, 
I just want to kind of demystify this for some people that my personal, just plain spoken definition of advocacy is just speaking up about something you care about, asking somebody in power to take an action. And, and that's, that's it, really. It could be your local school board. It could be a U.S. senator. It could be the president of the United States. Um, but that's basically what we're talking about. And this kind of thing was not on my radar at all, probably uh, 20 years ago. And I'm going to turn 50 this year. Woo you don't <laughs> even look like you could be 50. I oh, would have guessed like early 40s. Uh, that, that's, uh, that made the podcast <laughs> worth everything. <laughs> Now I can just move throughout my day with that. <laughs> so thank you. No, um, it, it, this is, you know, I had, you know, middle school government class and things like that, but I, I really never thought about how I could be involved in a political process or why I should be. Uh, the way this all started for me is it stemmed from motherhood, which is why I'm writing a book about motherhood and advocacy. Um, when I was a working person, I used to be an automotive engineer with uh, General Motors and then some suppliers. I was just busy, busy. I was an engineer person and I was thinking about my work and, and doing these things and motherhood really made me slow down. I had the, the privilege of, um, of uh, choosing uh, to uh, raise my kids at home. I, I quit my job and Part of that was not being able to find the childcare that I wanted. And part of it was it's expensive. Yeah. Part <laughs> of it was being excited to do it myself. Everybody has to make that decision for themselves. But when I decided to quit and stop being a corporate person, it really slowed time down. And um, unfortunately, I was also one of those people that was um, a bit depressed um, after having a child, um, yeah. you know, maybe not, maybe it wasn't full out postpartum depression, but there was definitely sleep deprivation going on. Yeah. And <laughs> that can really mess with your head. So um, I was in kind of a negative space sometimes when I would sit, I should also tell you that my daughter was born in Chicago, my first daughter in December. So that's pretty isolating um, to not be kind of out and about like you would like to be. Um, the volunteer things that I used to do in soup kitchens and things like that, it's not a good place to, to bring a baby. Number one, yeah. you don't have your hands available <laughs> anymore. <laughs> and number two, it's just like you're, you're trying to limit the, we all know about viral exposure now, don't we? In yes, we all do. <laughs> but we thought about things like that back then. Um, so I would sit at home and like, I wouldn't even want to leave my bedroom sometimes. So I would listen to, I would just leave the radio on NPR mm -hmm. um, because <laughs> you get like, um, you know, intellectual things, you get the news, you get funny things. And so that was just on all the time, but it started to kind of open my eyes to some of the problems of the world I hadn't thought about. And I would sit in the rocking chair and some things in the news from that year uh, was a, um, a terrible earthquake in, um, in Pakistan. And there was a, a lot of um, uh, hunger and famine going on. And I was sitting there worrying about would I be able to take care of my child? Just those um, insecure feelings that yeah, you can be great at corporate America and still have no idea what to do with this baby. And that's the way that I was feeling um, 
And uh, like, would I be able to keep her alive? And then I was trying to tell myself, these are silly feelings, but I was listening to stories where, you know, here's mom that this is not an imaginary problem. Mm -hmm. And then I began to realize that I was in a position that I should be able to help. And to get to your question, how did I make the leap to advocacy? It was through my church, Um, churches and houses of worship can sometimes be be supportive and be a place where you can go with your babies. And um, there was somebody who kind of was listening to me talk about these newfound feelings and she's put it together that maybe I'd like to help with a ministry called Bread for the World, um, which is a Christian advocacy group that um, they write letters to Congress about hunger um, in the United States and around the world. And that's how I started getting my feet wet because I found that I could um, write a letter to Congress in the middle of the night when a baby woke me up to change her diaper. And then I'm just like awake. Um, I found I could write emails, um, so we can go farther down that road. Uh, but that was the genesis of how this all started. Gotcha. Yeah. I'm thinking right now when you were talking about Pakistan and, you know, the things they were going through, I'm thinking right now, like the hurricane that just hit the Gulf and all the families who can't leave because they can't afford it. You know, everybody's like, just leave, just evacuate. And like, how can you evacuate if you don't have the money to evacuate? Where are you going to go? Like maybe, you know, I was a single mom um, the first time I went to college that way back in the day. uh, And I, I didn't have a lot of money. I was on, you know, assistance. I, if I was in a, I'm from upstate New York, but if I was from a place that had hurricanes, I, I live paycheck to paycheck. I would not have had the money to put uh, gas in my car to go far enough to escape a hurricane that size. And so right. when you were talking is all I can think is of these people who don't have the money to evacuate. And what do you do? What do you do if you're a mom and you have children and you know, you're putting your kids in harm's way by staying, but you don't have a choice. Yeah. In fact, my daughter is my older daughter is a volunteer for the sunrise movement and she spent uh time on a phone bank and we usually think about phone banks being uh uh like political phone banks and stuff like that but they were reaching out um it's part of their um uh, things that they do is to reach out to people in climate disasters and try to connect them with resources and my daughter talked to somebody or somebody on her team talked to an individual who has a disability that means they can't ride in a car for really more than 15 minutes at a time yeah so they were just you know stuck and hoping for the best there's all sorts of reasons and there's all sorts of ways to help um so this you know sometimes we can donate money and i used to donate money but at that time because i had just quit my job and um this talking about that time in my life when I was starting to advocate. My husband had also quit his job to start a business. So there wasn't a lot of money to donate. So sometimes with advocacy, that's where we have to step in. And, you know, maybe I'm not sure what to do about the hurricane, like right now, like sometimes I'm just waiting to see what different advocacy organizations are saying about it. But if you're in Louisiana, maybe you're calling governor and asking for certain resources or something like that, that can uh, amplify the effect of, of what, you know, maybe I have 50 bucks to donate, 
but by talking to a governor or talking to a U.S. senator, maybe we can free up, you know, five hundred thousand dollars for something. Yeah. So why poverty? Why is that the the lane that you chose? Yes, I I know you advocate yeah. for other things, but yeah. that is like the predominant that's my main focus. Thing. That's your yeah. main focus is poverty. So I would say that within that, there's probably even more of a focus for me in uh, global health. And it probably stems from those beginning moments of, of holding my baby and just thinking about all the things that could go wrong. So here's an example of harnessing your pessimism and your anxiety and making something good come out of it. Um, uh, so maternal child health is really important to me. I'd say that that is the crux of all of that. So um, that's how I um, became a major advocate for uh, global vaccines is a big area for me. And also um, the first uh, providing proper nutrition, nutrition within the first thousand days of life. Um, but then I can't turn my back on my own um, country. Those are two big global issues we talked about. Um, and here in the United States, uh, uh, SNAP benefits, Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program. I'm um, familiar. I've <laughs> been there. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, no, I, and, um, like I was talking about earlier when I said I got assistance, I got, um, when I was in a single mom and I was in college the first time, I did get SNAP. They called oh. it they called it food something stamps. different way back then, but yeah. food stamps. <laughs> That's yeah, what's still a I lot think of it was food stamps, but yeah the, yeah, the snap didn't come around. Like they didn't start calling it snap until like quite a few years later. But like I also got wick, um, everything like that when my daughter was really little, um, because I had her when I was sixteen. I turned seventeen right after she was born, like two months later. But I was sixteen years old, and when I went to college. I was a single mom on my own, you know, struggling yeah. to make ends meet because how do you go to college, take care of a kid and work at the same time? That means I wasn't working as much as I could have because I had to juggle all these things. Um, so yeah, I, I, long story short, I did, no, I, I did have SNAP benefits. I really thank you for sharing that story because I think that, uh, a lot of people need to know that, um, SNAP is not just a safety net, it's a springboard uh, trampoline yeah, yeah. for people to um, get out of the, to, to weather the situation that they're in. And to, um, like you're saying, it's like you were trying to get an education and yeah. make life better. Um, so more people need to hear those kinds of stories. So I thank you for sharing that with us today. Well, thanks. I mean, I, I'm fully for, you know, people fall on hard times. And, you know, so many people want to point to the small, small percentage of people who abuse the system, Correct. but that's a, such a very small percentage of people who are receiving benefits. Mm -hmm. The rest are just trying to make it, just trying to get by, trying to improve their lives. And, and how do you stop the cycle of poverty if you're not helping people get out of poverty? So if you and I were in the same state and you're not in Missouri, but if we were, yeah. I'd be going, oh my gosh, Megan, this would be so great. Um, <laughs> because what I do as a kind of practically full-time um, advocate is I, I build relationships. That's sort of my brand of advocacy. I work with Republicans. I work with Democrats. I work with whoever is in office um, yeah. and uh, build relationships 
so that they know who I am and that when I have some, there's an important piece of legislation moving or we need to shake something loose, I can get that meeting and I'd be like, oh my God, you can come in with me and let's, uh, you know, if you're willing to, can you share that story? Because uh, there are members of Congress that, that just don't, um, they don't always hear that side of the story, the, mm. the success part. It's like, this is what you can help be a part of. Right. Uh, so that's a lot of what I do in the coaching is like, I would take somebody like you who maybe doesn't do it as much and kind of help integrate that into a, a lobby meeting where you would tell that story. And then I would say, and we have this bill that will <laughs> help people that are yeah. in situation that Megan was in. No, exactly. Yeah. So poverty, <laughs> you yeah. said, I, I cut you off, oh. um, but you but said, going back to, to, to the why, I guess, yeah. you know, here I am with the maternal child health. And then as I got more and more um, involved and read more and was better educated and hung out with uh, people who are in these organizations, I began to realize that the that poverty was like really at the source of so many of these problems, and um, and there were so many facets to it. Mm-hmm. And now you mentioned that I'm also a, a advocate for um, uh, moms demand action, and mm-hmm. um, so that's a gun violence. Um, an organization that addresses gun violence. And um, I do a little bit of climate work, although I will freely admit that my teenagers take the, uh, take more of the leadership roles on that. And, and I feel like that's what their generation is doing. They're shaking stuff up. Like yeah, people like to great. talk a lot of crap about them, but I'm telling you, these, <laughs> pe- these kids are going to save us. Yeah. And I, uh, in seeing how poverty is linked in with that, because the people mm-hmm. most affected with, by climate change are, um, are the people without resources. So I saw that as a way that I could be addressing the root cause of many different social issues. Mm-hmm. Um, and with education, of course, I have two kids in school. Education is really important to me. And if I'm looking out for the kids that are in poverty, if you're solving problems for them, you're actually solving problems for everyone, everybody. <laughs> yeah. Like um, I live in Connecticut and I don't know if this is, all 50 states that are doing this, but last year because the pandemic and this year because the pandemic, they're doing free breakfast and lunch for all kids. And Mm -hmm. I told my spouse, I'm like, why couldn't they always do this? Right? Like, I mean, we, he makes really, really good money. And, and I work as well, like part-time because I'm going to school, but I'm like, you school lunches, it adds up. <laughs> it adds up. And yes, there's kids that, you know, qualify for free and reduced lunch. But what about that middle, you know, those families that like don't qualify, but they also don't have enough money to really yeah. afford to pay that, especially for multiple kids. Like we have four kids. So at one point in time, we had four kids in school. That's a lot of money, you know? Mm-hmm. And I was always sending my kids to school with their own lunches because I'm like, I cannot afford this. So I think it's, I mean, speaking to what you're speaking of. So yeah, that that free breakfast and lunch 
he doesn't just help the kids in poverty. It helps all the kids, you know, now kids aren't going to feel ashamed when they forget their lunch and they have to like go and, and they don't have the money because they didn't bring the money because it takes that stigma away. It takes that stigma away. And now they're all in this, the same, you know, ground. So it's not like, oh, this person gets the free because you always know, right? You always know what kid gets like Mm. the free and reduced lunch. And now it's everybody does. So you don't, it takes, like you said, that stigma, it takes that little piece away and it helps all the kids. So, I mean, yeah, like you said, uh, that's what I was just cutting in there to, to agree with you about like these things that help people who are in poverty can also help everybody else. Yep. 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 And, you know, there's, there's only, only so many hours in a day. Right. Right. So as I I talk about this in the book too, that um, eventually if you decide that you want to advocate and try to make the world a better place, you're going to have to choose somewhere to start. And like, I told you my story of like, you know, how it, it, there's like a spark for me Mm -hmm. and there's always like a, going to be a soft spot in my heart for, um, um, pregnant mothers and and infants and stuff like that. Not that I don't care about the other things, but right. you have to decide, you know, what's, what's really keeping you up at night and yeah. go with what your heart tells you. And I'm not t- saying everybody's like, these are my reasons for advocating against poverty and everybody should do what I'm doing. No, there's so many things out there. It's like, I'm writing this book and I, de- I intentionally made it cover a whole bunch of issues because we need so many hands in so many places. Right. Um, so I'm a mental health advocate. That's what I consider myself. I talk about mental health all the time. I talk about it on social media. I talk about it on the podcast. Like <laughs> for me, so I'm going to school for psychology. I'm getting my master. I'm working on my master's in psychology right now. For me, it's really, my focus is really the stigma and bias. Because there are three things, I wrote a paper on this. There are three things that prevent people from getting the mental health care they need. One is access. So like in very rural places, they may not have a lot of mental health professionals. So the ones they do have are very booked up. Um, Mm -hmm. And they can also be very picky about what insurance and stuff they will accept because they are the only person or one of the very few people. So access, affordability, and back, like, not everybody has health insurance and those that do may not be mental health care may not be covered. Like I know I'm a very privileged individual that my mental health care is covered, but Mm -hmm. I I'm very aware that not everybody is in the same position I am. And third is the stigma. So even if they have the other two, a lot of people won't go and seek mental health care because of the stigma that's around mental health. And so I'm very passionate about trying to like dismantle that stigma and the bias against people with mental health and show like, it's not what you think it is. And it's not the way the media portrays it. So that's for me, that's my little spark. That's the thing that lights me up. (laughs) And that's fantastic. I, I like celebrate that because it's like, oh, wow. Like I don't, I don't know as much about that as, as you do. And I can't be the voice for that, but you can right. <laughs> yeah. move, move together. Um, one of my favorite times of life was when I was living in um, a Chicago suburb called Morton Grove. And I had a group of moms that we used to 
come together um, for events we called uh, Playdate with a Purpose. And a mom would bring something she was concerned about and we'd maybe like watch a little YouTube about it, you know, a short movie or uh, read an article together. And then we would all try to take an action on it. And it's like what these different moms were interested in was, was so diverse. And uh, there was one mom that she was like really into healthy food and Christina wanted everybody to have access and she started a farmer's market and then we could all like help her but I didn't have to start a farmer's market yeah (laughs) so we can just like support everybody and everybody take their own piece of leadership for what they feel passionate about we will be a much better place as a society I believe yeah and and one thing I want to go back one thing you talked about is global vaccines and I feel like that's Vaccines are such a huge conversation right now. Yeah. Um, how, I, and for me, what I've seen and what I know, and you probably know far more than I do, is the most impoverished co- countries are the ones that don't have access to vaccines. So yeah. we think about right right now in the United States, we're talking about like a booster shot, but there are yeah. so many countries that haven't even accessed the first round of COVID vaccines. And they the predominantly are countries that have a higher poverty rate. Yes. Am I right? Am I on the button? You you are completely (laughs) right on that. And uh, the booster situation is, um, you know, it's a, it's a complicated issue. Okay. Number one, let's go back. Uh, Shot at life uh, was the UN foundation campaign that um, that's when I started um, really drilling down with global vaccines. They knew of my work from other organizations invited me. Um, it was a 10, this is, uh, this is going to be their 11th year. Wow. So 11 years ago, uh, 40 moms were invited to like come and be the founding members of shot at life. We had no idea that 10, 11 years later, we'd be like trying to end a pandemic with vaccines. <laughs> we had no clue. So, you know, this is another thing that I just want to throw out there that, you know, do what you're passionate about because you don't know when it will become like the issue. And, yeah. You know, this, we are, we kind of flippantly sometimes say, especially the mom advocates will say to each other, what are you doing today? It's like, ah, same in the world. <laughs> same old same old you know but we yeah. are literally trying to save the world now with these skills that we built up a while ago but boosters uh sometimes i like to call them uh third shots which doesn't quite make sense if you had j and j because it would be your second shot but most right. people i advise yeah <laughs> Pfizer, um and i think sometimes when we call them third doses or third shots it kind of drives home that there are people like you mentioned that haven't had their first dose yes. yet. Um, I, it is less than 3% of Africa. And here, I'm not talking about a country. I'm talking about a continent Yeah, has been vaccinated um, uh, against COVID. So there is a huge disparity. Um, I would like to t- say at this point in the podcast that if you are immunocompromised, don't let your, this conversation of, of, you know, global ethics get in the way. Even the World Health Organization is saying, if you are immunocompromised, get that third shot. Yes. Period. Especially as this, this, uh, as COVID mutates. 
And that's what people don't understand is the shots were super effective for the original variant and, and other variants before the Delta, they was very effective. I mean, Pfizer was like 90, 95% effective, but then this Delta comes along and it's like, just kidding. (laughs) This is something I, I learned about that not a lot of people know that we had a pandemic that was very much active, um, before, um, COVID even started, which was tuberculosis. Um, it's not talked about a lot here because, um, you know, in the U S we largely have it under control, although there are some, there are cases of this, but, um, you know, it's, it's still, um, millions of people that are, um, contracting tuberculosis every year. And what we saw with that, when I started, when I first started working on global health, they were talking about multi-drug resistant tuberculosis. And I thought, wow, that's pretty bad that I'm mutated. And then a couple of years later, we weren't talking about MDR anymore. We were talking about XDR-TB, extreme drug resistant tuberculosis. So I learned then about the mutations and I see how badly this is going with COVID. Uh, it is impossible for us to booster our way out of this problem if wealthy countries like the United States, like Canada, like the UK, um, some of those countries have um, reserved four times the amount of vaccines that they need for their populations Mm -hmm. are actually standing in the way of low-income countries getting their um, uh, first doses. so if we continue down this trend, we can't booster our way out of a pandemic because if we just say, oh, we've got ours, we're good. Eventually we're going to have a variant that uh, our current vaccines aren't covering. And then we're gonna go have to go back into severe lockdown all over again while we look for the vaccine that will work for the next variant. And um, yeah, it, it can't be said enough that we need some sort of vaccine equity. It's not working right now. Yeah. And it's, and what people don't understand, it's not like there's a limited supply of vaccines. They could keep producing them. So why do we have to hoard these vaccines and not give them to other countries? We give all sorts of kind of crap to other countries all the time. <laughs> like, why can't we just give a vaccine you know, donate, if, if we donate some of our vaccine supply and other countries who have an abundant supply donate theirs, I believe all of the, the, you know, wealthier countries in the world could help vaccinate the entire world. But I feel like we have like this selfish mentality. We're seeing this play out in real time right now, where it's like all about us, right? We have to, to protect ourselves or we, it's about our freedoms. And not think about all the other people who might be struggling right now, all the other countries who are struggling right now, who really need that help. Because like you said, it's going to keep mutating until we get it under control. And you can't do that because people travel. It's not like there's a brick wall between countries or between continents. People travel, which also means people that that variant will travel too. It really pains me when I see Americans talking about, uh, you know, yay, I got my second shot and yay, I got my, I'm going to get a booster and stuff and I'm going to go and they list some um, 
low-income country that is in the tropics or something like that I'm like wow that that is ballsy (laughs) um I have a cousin who lives in Trinidad and Tobago people sometimes hear of Trinidad because of carnival and um it's famous for that um so Tobago is a major tourist destination beautiful beaches and stuff like that um we've been talking about getting together for I have not seen her in ages since we were both a lot thinner um (laughs) (laughs) and feel that shorter (laughs) you know um um but oh wait no we're about the same height I guess I did go there as (laughs) well but um my point is is that uh Trinidad is a little island and their their uh borders are closed like they're just like not accepting us and I think they get by on that probably because they have an oil export but there are countries that um rely on the tourists and they can't close their their borders and uh, for us to go there um and maybe with delta expose them to something I think is just pretty reckless without providing the vaccines to them right not have all the vaccines that they need at this point um to your point also about the foreign aid, uh, I'm just going to throw in there just because it's a knee-jerk reaction for me too. It's not just the delivery of the um, uh, of the vaccine, or not just the donating the vaccines, but it's also donating the money to get them actually in arms to keep yeah. that cold chain up. These do need to be refrigerated at um, high temperatures and things like that. And I wrote a letter to the editor of the Financial Times that was talking about lifting patents and helping other countries actually develop them. Um, Because it's also like, hey, our taxpayer money actually helped pay for the um, development of these vaccines. So we shouldn't be just making a ton of money (laughs) off of them. You know, give give that recipe away and help people um, manufacture their own. Exactly. They have so many other drugs out there that they have patents for. <laughs> like, come on now. These companies have lots of money. Like they're not, they're not, they're not missing out on any money. I mean, my, my bipolar medic- it's just a survival thing for right. us all to survive. <laughs> my bipolar medication is hundreds of dollars a month. And so you, that's what they're making off my medication. I need to stabilize my mood and help me like function. So you can, you can, they can definitely uh, lift these patents and allow other countries to make these vaccines. Like they're not missing out on, they're not going to go broke. <laughs> well, I mean, what we are going to miss out on is, well, there are many people are going to miss out on their, their, their literal lives, which is life and death kind of thing. But I, man, I, I miss my other life too. <laughs> my, my going out in the world life. Yeah. I just want the option to be able to do whatever I want. I don't even want to do it. I just want the option to do it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, increasingly, um, you know, when I go out in public, it's um, like sometimes I, I I am kind of introverted by nature and, um, and, and it's fine. Like I, I like to go out and hang out with people, but increasingly I have to come in like, okay, I really got to recover. That was a big crowd. Yeah. (laughs) Cause I'm not used to that. So we're, we're getting low on time. I would like to pivot and have you share with the audience 
like some tips or some guidance on, you know, how they can get involved. You touched it on it a little bit throughout mm -hmm. this, um, but really like, what would be your advice for somebody who's sitting here listening to you going, oh my gosh, I want to get involved with something because I'm very passionate about X, Y, or Z. Mm -hmm. So um, I do have a website, which is, uh, you'll put it in the show notes, yeah, hopefully. Um, I will. <laughs> you my, provided my maiden it. name is Chang Yit, so it's uh, changyit.com. And on there, I have some, um, on that website, there's a section called Advocacy Made Easy. And that has sort of instructions for some very basic things like how to call Congress and how to write a letter to Congress um, how to write a letter to the editor if you're feeling like really um, passionate and frisky. <laughs> Which is, that's one of my favorite things to do because if you get a letter to the editor and it's only about 150 words, you most of us have done this before in school. And then um, then the paper like distributes it to everybody, <laughs> does your work for you, and you can put it out on social media. Um, there's tips on how to do a lobby meeting, but my number one tip for people is find a reputable organization that is working on this already. There's a couple things about that. Number one, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. If you wanna, if you're worried about the air quality in your area, maybe there's, oh, I don't know, some fires yeah. <laughs> in one part of our country that are causing you to care about air quality, then maybe Mom's Clean Air Force is a place that you might go. If you care a lot about vaccines, join me, you know, within the UN Foundation's Shot at Life. If you care about gun violence deeply, maybe you're a gun violence survivor. Moms demand action against gun violence in America. Um, poverty, <laughs> because I'm sort of an anti-poverty advocate. I know a lot of those. Bread for the World is great if you want to hook up through your church. Results.org is a great place if you... Um, like to work on many aspects of poverty at once um, and care.org uh, you can visit there if you really love a women and girls focused approach to to poverty so but any of those that I just named that was like a whole bunch of them I'm sorry I, I wrote them down so hopefully I'll get all of them <laughs> linked up yeah uh, but the, the reason that I'm sort of I was especially a fan of ones that are nonpartisan and yeah. this may be a good place to throw that in. Like, let's, let's just say that I was a person who just really wanted Democrats to win all the time. And I was not going to talk to any Republicans. Well, as a get Missouri nothing resident, done. <laughs> that means that I don't get to talk to anybody. Yeah. <laughs> that doesn't make sense. Um, so uh, you know, uh, I love the organizations that are um, working with whoever is in office, because then we don't have to wait every two years, every four years, every six years for elections before yeah. we even get to lift our voices. And these problems affect people no matter their political affiliation, right? A lot of the verbiage is like, there's more Democrats on poverty than there's Republicans. No. Like it's a pretty 50-50 split. Like it doesn't matter your political affiliation. You're going to struggle with these things too. We're all in this pandemic together. No matter your political affiliation, you'll struggle with poverty. I mean, you may not struggle poverty, but people who have that political affiliation will struggle with poverty. Mm -hmm. 
you know, you know, problems. Whether we know it or not, we're all struggling with poverty. We're yeah. just turning a blind eye to how, yeah. how it's affecting us. Yeah. And prenatal care, you know, it doesn't matter your political affiliation. All the things you talked about, it doesn't matter your political affiliation. People who have that same political affiliation will struggle with these things. And I would throw out there uh, also just a, a little plug for why we need to work with everybody is um, the margins of who holds the majority in the Senate are paper thin. Yeah. <laughs> so if you are like expecting one party or another to just be the savior, um, it can flip flop at any time. And so I believe uh, the best bet for a lot of these are to make those inroads and make sure that that every member of Congress that you have access to um, has a, a better understanding of your issues. Yeah, no, I agree 100%. And you know, I get very, people that have listened, I can get very political, but um, I am very aware that things can't get done if you're only focusing on one party or the other. Right. So um, my board of education, which is bipartisan board of education, there's actually rules in our town that you have to ha give seats to a certain number of seats to the uh, minority party. So whatever party. Yeah. Um, so it can't just be one party or the other. They just unanimously voted to have masks in school this for the next six months, at least. And then they'll revisit it. So bipartisan. If we only ignored one party, we would not have gotten a bipartisan agreement on the mask, but we did because people who went and talked to them, the scientists, the teachers, the superintendent, all the people that, and parents that voiced their, their, you know, concerns, their facts, their, uh, you know, everything, they didn't just point fingers and say like, you or you, it was everybody that they talked to. And that's how we got that decision done. Yeah. And I'm going to throw it in there because it sounds like it wasn't an easy thing. <laughs> and and I, I don't want people to think it's like, oh, I'm going to go to Cynthia's website. And this is, it's called Advocacy Made Easy, but it's because the, I'm making the steps easy for you. But this whole attitude and it, these are not easy things because it's, right. it's far easier right now to be angry and vilify other people and, and point fingers. Um, but you know what, uh, whether or not we're using it politically, moms actually have really, really good skills from raising our children. How many times have you settled arguments with your children? <laughs> yeah. You need to listen to each other. Please listen to me. I'm gonna repeat this for the 50th time. <laughs> These are skills that we can actually use to change national and global policy. We just don't really think of them that way. Yeah, absolutely. So as we wrap up the podcast today, what would you like to leave the Inspired Women audience with? Um, the idea that you are more powerful than you think you are. I think that's what I'd like to leave everybody with. And then... Uh, I wouldn't be uh, a good author if I didn't mention my book is coming when out. When is it released? Launching February 2022. So next February. How can people stay up to date so they can grab a copy of your book? Oh, what a great question. Thank you. Um, if you go to my website at changyet.com, 
there is a, a sign up for a newsletter. I write a monthly newsletter. Each one has a little personal update on me. It has uh, an update on the book. And it also has, um, everyone has a, a little quick online, well, sometimes online, sometimes it's making a phone call, but a quick advocacy action on um, some topic that's sort of like in the news or something like right. that. So a topical action. I love it. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Yeah, this is a blast. Thank you for being a part of the Inspired Women audience. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating review. And don't forget to share this out with somebody who could use some inspiration today. Tag us at Inspired Women Podcast, both on Facebook and Instagram. Have a great day.